Well, good morning, y'all. I feel like we were about to watch Braveheart, that that was coming next after that music. You would think I wouldn't be surprised by the music because I picked that video, but I was still surprised this morning. But super thankful that y'all are here. I'm going to dive into the scriptures and read uh, the same passage that Ross just read for us and a little bit further after that as well, the traditional joy reading of Advent. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. So we're in the midst of Advent right now. And Advent is this beautiful season where the word just simply means coming. The coming of the birth of Jesus, that we are awaiting um, the Lord being born, the incarnation of Christ. And it's this beautiful season as Christ followers because we go back and we remember and kind of place ourselves in this story and think about what it would have been like as we waited for the promised Messiah, but also this beautiful moment for us where he is coming again. Like there will be an advent for the Christ follower, but that's what it simply means. That's why we can uh, declare, oh, come thou long expected Jesus, oh, come thou long expected King and these purple candles that are traditionally on an Advent wreath are purple because they signify royalty, that we can declare the kingship of our Lord, of our Savior, who is Christ, and that we are a part of his kingdom. But I always love that the week of joy, the third week of Advent, is a different color candle. And it's the candle of joy. In other traditions, this morning, uh, they would They'd be wearing pink robes as well. They call them rose-colored robes. They're pink, all right? So if you say your shirt is salmon, it's pink, all right, everybody? Like, you can try to dampen it all you want, but it's pink. The shirt is pink. Um, (laughs) But they would wear this, and only twice a year in liturgical churches do they wear pink robes. One is this Sunday, where they are um, reflecting on the joy of the Lord. And then the other time is the halfway point in the Lenten season as they look ahead to the resurrection of Christ, as they look at Easter Sunday. Why do they do that? They do that so the church would hit pause and remember to rejoice in that season. That we would be reminded this morning of the joy that is unshakable and is founded in Christ. I love that. What a beautiful thing to celebrate this morning. It also signifies that a great feast is coming, by the way. So amen to that, right? Anybody? So the last service, I accidentally said this, so I'll just say it this service. Is it ham or is it turkey? That is the great debate, all right? Jay Hartsfield dropped a bomb in staff meeting one day and asked that question, and it was, it was a big deal, all right? So I don't know where you lie on that, but I'm going to stop talking about that now. So this, that, that exact thing happened last time. 
So pink, it, it reminds us to hit pause this morning and rejoice, to take joy in the Lord. So I grew up in a church that uh, celebrated Advent, and uh, I always loved it. I've always loved Advent, and one of the things that the joy candle for me kind of always represented because it looked different than the other ones, is that joy for the Christ follower, joy for the Christian, is redefined. It's redefined. Joy for the Christian looks different than the way the world would define joy. If you took just a quick cursory glance of joy, it really is just happiness. It's extreme happiness is, is really all that word means. But biblical joy is not as fragile as happiness. Because, I mean, if we're honest, right, happiness can happen, and two minutes later you could be like, I'm going to lose my mind, right? It's fragile. It's fleeting. It's momentary. It's circumstantial. Joy is not for the Christ follower. Biblical joy is one that is rooted so firmly in the gospel that it is utterly unshakable. Biblical joy is immovable because it is inextricably intertwined with the good news of Christ. This good news of our Christ, our Messiah, our Savior is everlasting and it is definite and it is unchanging. So when we see this changing color of the Advent candles, I hope that we can be reminded that our joy is certain that we're reminded that the joy for the Christ follower is no temporary thing, and it doesn't look the same as the way the world would define it. It's an unshakable joy. No matter what we may be going through, no matter the difficulty we may face, and even in our grief, we're reminded that when the gospel takes root in our lives, nothing can rob us of the joy we have in Christ Jesus. And that's why I love this time of year. It's a beautiful time. That's why I love Advent so much. So we know that happiness is fleeting. That's why if our hope is anchored in anything or anyone other than the person of Jesus, it will always remain fickle and fleeting. We become anxious and uncertain. We get tired. We get overwhelmed. And if we're not careful, we begin chasing after other things to fill the voids in our lives, and they become idols for us, right? And that's something that only Jesus can satisfy in our life those voids. So I just pray this morning and throughout this Advent season that we can declare together that the Lord is our foundation, that he is our rock, that he is immovable and unshakable. I read this quote this week. It says this, biblical joy is different than what most people think of as joy. It is not just a happy emotion that we either feel or don't feel. It is a state of being that finds its source in God. The Bible is clear that joy comes from God. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And our joy is a product of what God has done and continues to do. It is gladness and contentedness flowing out of a wellspring of God's faithfulness and mercy, quite independent of our circumstances. The psalmist writes in Psalm 96, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. The prophet Isaiah declares, sing for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth, burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on them in their suffering. And then God's people had joy because they anticipated a time when the promised Messiah would come 
And as the prophet Isaiah writes, those who have been ransomed by the Lord will enter into Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. And then their faith in God's promise meant that even in their sorrow, we read, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. You know that word exult? Um, I love this. Uh, it means a heart that would tremble and it would open wide, that we would exult in the Lord, that our hearts would open wide and we would rejoice in the God of our salvation. So Advent in the incarnation reminds us that we have a joy rooted in the gospel that can never be taken away. So why is it do you think that joy can still feel fleeting for us at times? Like there's moments, right? If we're being honest, where we have a hard time feeling that. I found great irony in the fact that I'm writing this sermon and for eight days I haven't seen the sun. Like it has disappeared. It's like gone on a vacation. It's incredible. And I'll tell you this, I'm from Southwest Florida. My wife and I will say this all the time, that we are solar powered, all right? So the sun came out for like 48 minutes yesterday. Anyone? Hallelujah. And I promptly ran outside and played pickleball. And I was like, I love you, Lord. And then I ran back inside because there was a torrential monsoon, all right? But I just found it amazing that I'm writing about joy. And I'm like, why am I staring out the window just like, do, 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 do. You know, like, it's just the saddest thing. No joke, my daughter, uh, several times this week, because if there isn't something a two-and-a-half-year-old will do, it'll make you think about yourself. And she goes, Dad, are you sad because it's raining? And I'm like, how did you know? You know, like, awesome. Okay, well, joy. <laughs> it was amazing. It was really true. But it's, it, it can seem fleeting for us and, and, and at times can feel like it's momentary or it's fragile. And I think it's because of this. We have to choose joy. We have to choose it. It isn't passive, it is active. This call to rejoice, the word rejoice itself is a verb, it's an action. It's a volitional choice that we all have to make. I liken it to this. It's like being crucified with Christ. When you become a Christian, you are crucified with Christ, as Paul says to the church of Galatians. Yet still Jesus says that every day we have to pick up our cross. Why? Like when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're still crucified with Christ, right? You know the Lord. You are uh, positionally a Christ follower. This is what theologians would call positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. Positional sanctification means this. We've been crucified with Christ. That when you say yes to the Lord, you are a new creation, right? You've been adopted into the family of God. You are a son or a daughter. That we were the beggars, but now we are royalty, our position changes. We are sanctified. As Ross said last week, we are dressed in the garments of Christ. Isn't that amazing? But we're dressed in righteousness. Jesus' righteousness, not by no work of our own, but only because of the finished work of Christ. Yet still, we'll wake up tomorrow morning and go, hallelujah, I'm thankful his mercies are new every day, right? That we're going to be progressively sanctified as we go throughout this life. That we're going to be pruned by the Holy Spirit as we walk with the Lord and we're going to look more and more like Jesus until one day we stand before him in glory with a new body. But until then, there's this progressive sanctification that takes place. So we know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We know the gospel. We can declare the gospel as truth, and it's unwavering. Yet still, we have to, every single day, be reminded that we have to choose joy. 
we choose it. That's why the psalmist can sing this. In Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And one of the things I love so much about that passage is the word, it's, it's your salvation. It's the Lord's salvation. It's not something that we did. It's God's work in us. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Be reminded of the moment when you and your position changed and you were in Christ. Be reminded of it. And the question this morning is, is your spirit willing? Because the Lord certainly isn't stingy. Is your spirit willing? Henry Nowen writes this, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. Richard Foster writes, the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. That is why celebration is a discipline. It is not something that falls on our heads. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. Yet if we're honest, there's a propensity in each of us to ruminate and respond on negativity. There just is. Have you, um, have you ever had uh, like a bad first impression with someone and you just can't shake it? You know what I'm talking about? And it takes a while. So neuroscientists, they call this the negativity bias. It's, I mean, it's, it's proven that this exists in all of us, that our propensity is to go to a negative place first. It's why we remember traumatic experiences more than positive ones. It's why we can recall an insult better than we can recall praise. Have you ever had a day where you've gotten like 10 compliments, but that one person says that one thing and it hurts, and you go home and your spouse is like, how was work? And you're like, terrible. But it was great, right? Like if you are objective, you realize it was great. But for some reason, it's just something that we do. We ruminate on those things. And we think about negative things more frequently than positive things. One neuroscientist wrote this quote, I love it. Your brain is like Velcro for negative experiences and like Teflon for positive ones. Like if that ain't for the truth, right? He goes on to say this, that this has been proven. I, I found this amazing that a negative experience takes about three seconds to imprint on our minds, and a positive one takes about 14 seconds. There's just something in us that we grab those things and we hold on to it. I was listening to a sermon by John Mark Comer, and he said that when his family goes on vacation and they're talking about how amazing a moment is, that he has his whole family pause and they wait for 14 seconds and they let it sink in. So then later they can recall that memory together as a family. I thought that was so beautiful. Have you then ever been around someone who just exudes Christ and they exude joy? Have you been around that person and you just want to be closer to that person? You want to be around those type of people? So that's certainly part of my salvation experience. I, I grew up in a broken family, and I've told you guys before that I struggled a lot with just really despair and anger and frustration and disappointment. And I think I told you a year, a year ago I preached and I, I told you that on Christmas morning, I opened up a present for my grandma and it was a book called uh, How to Control Your Anger. It's the greatest gift ever. Thanks, grandma. I hope she's watching. Um, I'm st still harboring that negative thought. Um, <laughs> sweet. Didn't even think about that the first service or all week. Until this moment. So you just watch Conviction on stage. Awesome. So, uh, wow. Amazing. Um, so, 
So I was 17 years old. It was two weeks before my senior year of high school. And I remember going to church on a Sunday morning. And for the first time in my life, the, I remember that the singing began and I started to feel conviction for the very first time. I did not know what was happening to me. And then all of a sudden the pastor got up and he started speaking and he uh, opened up the scriptures and I felt even more conviction. And then he did an altar call and it was like my first fight with the Lord. I was like, I am definitely not walking to the front of this building right now, okay? But I went home that afternoon and I'll never forget just lying on my floor, opening up a Bible and saying, Lord, I need you. That's it. I need you and I know it. And my life changed so drastically that I didn't, I literally didn't have friends anymore. None. They wanted nothing to do with me. So um, my senior year of high school, my first day of my senior year, uh, I was walking and it was right before lunch. I'll never forget this. It was right before lunch and I'd already been in a full panic of where am I going to sit at lunch, right? That may sound really silly, but you get it, right? You know that feeling. I'm like, what am I going to do? This is going to be terrible. And this girl walked up to me and said, hey, you should come sit with me and my friends at lunch uh, today. And I was like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Thank you. I will go anywhere. And I showed up at this table and immediately knew something was different with this group of people. I mean, their joy and their compassion and their kindness towards me, who's a stranger, none of them knew me. And very quickly, I realized they were all Christians. And I was so thankful in that moment to be around this group because I was like, I just want to learn about who they are and why they're like this. And then there was this girl who was sitting next to me, and I remember her talking about the fact that she was on the cross-country team. And she said she was a big runner. I'm going to say this as nicely as I can say. I was not an athletic build, all right? So not a runner. But like a dummy, I was like, oh, I like to run. And it was like the moment, you know, when something comes out and you're like, I wish I could grab it. But it was there. And, uh, and I just, be, and really, it's just because I wanted to be around these people. And I said, oh, I'd like to run. And then she's like, oh, where do you live? And we found out we lived a mile and a half from, away from each other. And she's like, well, let's go on a run this week. I'll run to your house and pick you up. And I was like, in a car? Or like you're going to run there and pick me up and then we're going to run a further distance because that sounds ridiculous to me. Um, and she ran there and I was in a very big panic when she showed up and wasn't breathing heavy because I would have died by then. And uh, I, don't, I don't really know how to tell the fullness of the story right now, but it's just a really funny story. So we end up going on this run. I make it a quarter mile. It was a terrible experience. The person I went on that run with is now my wife. And uh, the first time I ever met her, I lied to her face. Uh, so isn't that incredible? Glad that first impression is over with. But I think about it all the time. But the truth is, I just wanted to be around her. Because she was so kind. And the joy of the Lord exuded from her and her friends. And I just wanted to be near it. Because it's so different than the world around us. That's why we can be a city on a hill and a light to the world, River Tree. That's why. Because in Christ Jesus, we are new. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. So now we think back to the story of Jesus and his birth in the Gospel of Luke. You can only imagine the amount of discouragement the Israelites must have been feeling in this season. Centuries of silence waiting. Just waiting. And then we get to this story. So I'm going to read Luke 2, verses 8 through 14 again. I'm going to pause a couple times just to add some context. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
This word fear in Greek, it doesn't mean just a little scared. It literally means the scariest moment of your life. They were very scared. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. This is the word euangelion. It's where we get our word for evangelism. It's where we get our word for gospel. The good news of the gospel that our Savior is born. That God would condescend from the heavens and meet with his people. What a miracle. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude. This doesn't just mean a lot. It means as far as the eye could possibly see. A multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. That's where we get angels we have heard on high. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So then we're told in this narrative what comes next is that Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Jerusalem to present Jesus to God. This was a custom amongst Jewish families to bring their firstborn son to the temple. And we pick up this story, and one of the names in here is going to be Simeon, but it's also important to note that there was a prophetess who was there too, and her name was Anna. She's a part of this story. She's a part of the one waiting for this message of a Savior. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. We're told in the story that Simeon and Anna, that they were righteous and devout. We're told of Anna that she was most likely over 100 years old, waiting, but believing and devout, trusting in the promises of God. Isn't that amazing? Waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is such a beautiful phrase. This is what it means. It means a person who would bring comfort to someone who has suffered or experienced loss. A person who would bring comfort to someone who's experienced loss or their suffering. Jesus is the consolation of Israel. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. In the midst of their waiting and their pain and their distress, he brings peace and comfort. And this is why we can rejoice even in the midst of difficulty. The gospel is unwavering and Jesus is our consolation. This story is a prophetic fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 60. We read this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip, then you shall see and be radiant, and your heart shall thrill and exalt, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nation shall come to you. They shall bring gold and frankincense, 
and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. It just brings me a lot of encouragement to hear of Anna and Simeon who just trusted firmly in the promises of God and the prophetic words of the scriptures. They found their hope and their rest in taking God at his word and believing a savior would come. And what was everybody's response in this narrative? It's beautiful. Every single person, even the heavenly hosts and the angels, they rejoiced. They rejoiced in the Lord. I love a couple of these Greek definitions for this word rejoice. One is to delight in, but I love this. It's to enjoy. They just enjoyed Christ. They enjoyed Jesus. So there's one other part of this story, and we're going to land the plane here, but there's one other part of the story that brings me some joy and some hope as I read it. And one is that the gospel declaration given by the angels was first received by the lowly shepherds. Not those that were rich, not those that were in power, not those of great influence, actually quite the contrary, the lowly shepherds. It's one of the reasons I love one of the songs we do. Um, it's a, uh, uh, I'm calling on the God of Mary, whose favor rests upon the lowly. What a beautiful line, that the Lord's favor would rest upon the least of these the lowly. John MacArthur writes this about the shepherds. The good news of the Savior's birth came first to the most unlikely group of people. Shepherds were near the bottom of the social ladder. They were uneducated and unskilled, increasingly viewed in the post-New Testament era as dishonest, unreliable, unsavory characters, so much so that they were not allowed to testify in court. Because sheep required care seven days a week, shepherds were unable to fully comply with the man-made Sabbath regulations developed by the Pharisees. As a result, they were viewed as being in continual violation of the religious laws and hence ceremonially unclean. So just be reminded this Christmas that Jesus didn't come for those that didn't need a physician. He came for the sick. He came for the lowly. I find so much comfort in that this morning. And I'd like to end here because Paul gives us a how-to guide, just a tangible, some tangible action steps we can take to help cultivate joy in our lives, to choose joy. He writes to the church at Philippi in chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So three quick things. One is to give thanks, right? He says thanksgiving, to be a people marked by gratitude. We make a practice out of gratitude. The second thing he says is to draw near to the Lord in prayer. He says, the Lord is near. Don't be anxious in every situation. Pray. Your main source of joy will always depend on your proximity to God. Your main source of joy will always depend on your proximity to the Lord. The last thing he says in here is to meditate on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. So just to go about our days and take inventory, what are we thinking about? Where do our thoughts wander? 
and take our thoughts captive. And I want to be really clear as we end here that this doesn't mean that we go around and we're fake, right? It doesn't mean when something bad happens that we're just like, everything's great. That's not who we are, right? That's not who we are. We mourn. We weep. That happens. We're in a broken world. Yet in the midst of that, we can still take joy in the unwavering truth of the gospel. Every Christ follower can. Paul actually writes of his own disposition to the church of Corinth. He says that he was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing everything because of the unwavering truth of the gospel. So this means that even in the midst of our struggles, even when we have no earthly possessions or we find ourselves poor and needy, the good news of great joy told to the shepherds 2,000 years ago is good news of great joy for us today. The gospel is unwavering and immovable as a foundation for our lives, and that is why we can say, as Paul calls us to, that we will rejoice always. Let's pray together. Father, first, we are just so thankful that you would send your son. We are thankful that we can reflect on, be reminded of the incarnation. That Jesus, you would condescend from the heavens, you would put on human flesh, that you would walk amongst us in such a way that you can sympathize with your people, that you know what we go through. And Jesus, we're thankful that you are our high priest. We're thankful that you would take on our sin, that you would go to the cross, that you would conquer death and sin, and that we can celebrate who you are this morning because you are alive. So God, I pray that we would be reminded throughout our weeks that the gospel is unwavering. The truth that a child has been born who is a savior for the world is unwavering. So God, I pray that in the midst of the busyness that can happen in this season, that we would find moments just to find joy in you. In your presence, Lord, is the fullness of joy. So I pray that we would be a people who would draw near to you, knowing that you do not withhold yourself. So God, I pray that this morning as we end this time, that we would lift our voices and joyfulness and gratitude for who you are, what you've done, and what you continue to do in our lives. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.